Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. When, when you start off in property, uh, starting building a portfolio, very quickly it does become a business. So I think it's something that everybody should have an appreciation of if, if they're looking to make a change in their lives and do things on their own as well. Hello, welcome back to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast. And today I'm joined in our ramshackle podcast studio. <laughs> what, how, what would you call it? <laughs> it's a courtroom. I'm used to this kind of environment, so. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Anthony. Thanks for joining me. Um, for coming via your office up in Dundee. Oh, I didn't go that far. Did you not go no, up to the I office? No, I didn't want a nosebleed, so I've, I've stopped here. I'm putting my roots down here for the evening. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, a few weeks ago, I got asked on, or we got asked on Facebook in our group um, about listed buildings. So mm-hmm. I thought, right, okay, who can I get on so we can share experiences about developing listed buildings? And... You also have a whole raft of other things going on in your life. So I thought, let's get you on to have a discussion on the podcast. But our discussion before this suggests to me there's probably a couple of different areas we should focus on. So first of all, let's talk a bit about your business and some of the experiences you've had mm-hmm. with um, those types of buildings. And then I thought we'd maybe do another session that's focused in on some of the stuff people should be thinking about when they're actually looking at redeveloping listed buildings? Because some people think, listed buildings? Nah, I'll go and do this other one. Yeah, well, I, I love listed buildings, so yeah. Yeah, was, that's why you've asked me on. But uh, no, I think there's definitely an opportunity and uh, less competition in those areas. There definitely is. But let's give some um, context, right? So, Anthony, we met probably through LinkedIn's and all that sort of stuff, but ultimately you were based down near Darlington, right? Uh, yes, that's right. It was the TDN yep. event you did with Paul, actually, right. where Paul you came Lane. down to Middlesbrough. Yep. That's when that's when we first met. Yeah. That's when we first met. Yeah, um, and then I stalked you. Then you stalked <laughs> me, and, and your your one of your businesses is in one of our buildings, mm-hmm. which is great. And we've met again at the because the network event that I met you, I was different, but the one that you run with Paul mm-hmm. is this the property thing, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, and uh, you guys have been really well with that. Thank you. Amazing how many people come along to that <laughs> event. So anyway, let's just talk a bit about your background and sure. your current, I was going to say business, but we'll maybe put plural in that. Right? <laughs> we'll come on to that in a minute. Well, what's your background? Uh, so I guess my background, I've been doing uh, architectural technology, so architecture for probably around 20 years now. I've uh, recently retired my crayons because of the, the, the businesses, plural, um, at the moment. But uh, way back when, when I first got going, I was kind of um, more planning consultancy based. So basically, I just made pretty pictures for uh, planning applications. Yep. We didn't really get involved in the technical aspect, but learned a lot about uh, planning and, and, and all of the in- intricacies You're doing around all that. For really. developers, basically. Exactly, yeah. Making other people rich at yeah. that time. Okay. Uh, it's when you start looking at cash flow over there that when you read Richard Kiyosaki's, uh, Robert Kiyosaki's book, he sort of, yeah, the yep. penny drops. From there, I went into structural engineering and a bit more architecture. Um, so got a real appreciation of how things go together, how things are built, um, how you can take things away from buildings and, you know, the, the more of the nuts and bolts of the, the stuff we do anyway. Uh, and then from there, one of, I think my last job was uh, with Savills. Yep. So that was mainly building surveying, I guess little bit of architecture as well but we were looking after some really interesting things there you're talking stately homes castles yeah and things like that property yeah exactly so that's where kind of the uh the, the the love of listed buildings and and heritage assets i guess really came from yeah okay but you've also on the side as it were been doing property development yourself right yeah, I so, didn't mention that one, did I? Yeah. So you've been doing, I, I think you start off the same as everybody else, some buy-to-lets, or did you jump straight into something more exotic? No, very vanilla. My yeah. first buy-to-let was uh, just a 25% deposit down, uh, minimal work, 
Uh, and each time we've kind of done a project, we've got spicier and spicier to to where we yes, kind of land the today. Envelope. Yep, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So originally, were you doing that when you were still working, or did you? Yeah. Yep. So full time. Uh, when when I first started going, you know, you, I say you read read the books and you're like, right, I'm going to make a change. So it was it was five days a week doing the the viewings on a lunchtime, yep. uh, you know, materials and sourcing things on a night, uh, trying to herd cats basically without my employer kind of getting too grumpy with the yes. amount of time I was spending on the phone really. Uh, as I kind of um, developed more and more of the portfolio grew, I kind of went down to four days a week, three days a week. Uh, I was building Rocket in the background, Rocket Architecture at the time. Um, so when I got to a point where I was comfortable-ish yes i took the plunge full-time into into business really okay fantastic and when you did that what was the type of project you were doing so the project you were doing just before you left the employment what what was that uh you mean for myself yeah no just get a bit of yeah. context yeah, on the so sort of stuff you were doing. at that point uh so the, the property thing the networking event was uh, was in full swing at that point and developments and opportunities were coming to me uh, so with my last employer, that was when we started thinking about or started purchasing the grade two listed church that we're converting at the moment. Right. So that kind of gave me that, uh, well, that, that carrot dangled, let's yes. say. So when I get to that point, I know I'll be safe cash flow wise anyway. Cool. Right. Okay. So I was really just get a bit of an idea of when you took the plunge, but you'd work your way down if, if you know what I mean. But also in this, on the other side, you've got a trading business yep. coming up, right? So mm -hmm. just to try and untangle the um conglomerate that is rocket group what um what primarily were you offering from rocket at the time when you sort of stepped into it fully full time uh it was just architecture yeah so that was my background it was what i knew um say so i had the safety net of a little bit of portfolio income at the time as well but uh, when, when i took the plunge it was three weeks before the covid lockdown so timing wasn't uh, particularly <laughs> great uh, but fortunately with the networking event and, yeah. and all of these other things I had going on, uh, I was able to kind of cash flow my way through from um, service accommodation kind of income. Okay, so Rocket Group has gone on from that. It has. And you're into, there's some really interesting parts of the business. So if, and part of the reason for having this conversation is about listed buildings, right? But it's not that the practice is just got experience of doing listed buildings, there's a whole other part. Maybe you could just talk through that. Sure. Um, so obviously the architecture, we we deal in all sorts. Yep. Um, obviously I, I like doing what I like doing. So we're doing commercial conversions for people, HMOs, you know, residential stuff, new builds. I'm developing a holiday park at the moment. So we, we've got this very broad brush approach to what we'll get involved in. Uh, so the way my head works is when uh, I get a consultant's letter through, it might be an ecologist or a heritage consultant, and you see the fees that are charged, you think, oh, there's, I love working on these kind of things. Why don't I bring this service in-house? So uh, from kind of that way of thinking, it's led me to conversations and partnerships with, um, with, with well, archaeologists. So that was one of the first businesses we, we branched into, myself and uh, Craig Hoodart, who, yep. who works up in, in your office in, in Dundee. Uh, from there, that's developed into ecology. We're looking to start an arboricultural um, area. Uh, just through my kind of networking, it's it's branched out into social media and digital marketing. Uh, I mentioned downstairs, we we've developed some gin now and coffee next year. It's uh, yeah, it spawned a lot of uh, legs. This little thing, this little idea of mine. I, yeah, I said to you know, is is your life full of shiny pennies? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say shiny pennies um, or maybe yeah they're, they're shiny pennies at the end of a rainbow that you never reach I guess but no uh, lots of ideas I've, I've got no issue with um, acting on them I guess yeah okay so your your job now is moved from doing like you said the crayons working through um, specific projects to now really managing people mm -hmm. resources mm -hmm. um, clearly networking is a big part of that so business development yeah. So really, it's now moved on to business owner, business manager. Absolutely. I mean, we all kind of end up in whatever field we work in or discipline we or service we sell, we ultimately end up doing that kind of thing, don't we? We end up being the, the person that's trying to build a business as opposed to build a house. Yeah, well, I think even when, when you start off in property, 
uh, starting building a portfolio, very quickly it does become a business. Yeah. So I think it's something that everybody should have an appreciation of if, if they're looking to make a change in their lives and do things on their own as well. Yeah. Uh, so I guess it's just as things have progressed, I've got bitten by that bug as well as the property one. <laughs> so the ecology stuff mm -hmm. um, and the archaeologists. So what's the typical sort of project that you guys get called into? At the moment, we're doing a lot of renewable projects. So mm -hmm. sort of large scale solar, wind, that kind of thing. Um, Ecology is, you know, every site you work on, whether it's your flour mill, I'd imagine you'd have had bats in there and things like that that an ecologist would need to go and assess first. Uh, but when you're talking about ground-up developments and, and solar farms, you know, you, you're talking... If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. About large areas of land that need eco ecological appraisals yes. before you get there. So that's that's kind of everywhere. It's I think that's going to be a, a, a very big business uh, very soon. To be honest, we're working on one of the largest housing estates in the UK down uh, down in um, Berkshire, Barking yeah. Riverside. Uh, so we're involved in some big things with that. And then uh, to bolt onto that, the archaeological thing. Yeah, there's not archaeological. They are two. The they are two separate things. But obviously, there there's you might come across one when you're doing the other. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're digging holes in fields. Yes. Um, yeah, often you'll come across something. Uh, we've had a few schemes where, you know, you think something's there and it's developed into something a lot, a lot bigger. Um, so, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. I do love history. Uh, my interpretation when I first got going with this, though, was just, you know, I like developing listed buildings. So it's just writing the heritage statements. It was when Craig started going, no, 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 there's money in digging holes. Uh, and, it, you know, it's... I feel bad in a way that some of the developments get put on hold for so long where, you know, our team are just basically on their hands and knees scraping bits of, yes. uh, you know, wood, stone and glass out of the ground. Uh, but it's it's really interesting what you can Go find. Then. Tell, tell us, give us an example of um, an interesting project you've worked on. Maybe where there's been a bit of a surprise. Um, I mean, I won't go into too many specifics, but we've been working on one for a, a, a house builder. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was uh, assumed to be a medieval farm there. Uh, and when we did start excavating, we found uh, quite a large moat that you weren't really expecting uh, <laughs> you to, to be around a little medieval yeah. farmhouse. So that's that developed into a much, much bigger um, uh, project for us. Yes. Uh, you know, we've been finding bits of glazed pottery, stained glass, you know, arched stones and things like that. So a little bit more ecclesiastical uh, kind of finds, let's say, uh, Roman bits and you know, prehistoric burials and all this kind of stuff, on burials, cremation, sorry. Yes. Uh, so yeah, very interesting. But uh, at the same time, I wouldn't like to be the developer if, sure. if that kind of thing does come up on your site because these are sunk costs that you're, you're going to have to bear before you even come out of the ground. So. I can imagine a moat uh, at all will include uh, the biggest cost and that's going to be time. Exactly that, yeah. And this is probably something that will tie into what we say about listed buildings. It doesn't have to necessarily be more expensive, but there is the time penalty associated with just 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 the passage of the time stuff. between getting responses and, and yeah. things like that, really. Yeah, okay. That, that's interesting. So alongside, so let me just to clarify this. So basically, you started, you've been doing your own resi stuff. Then you started Rocket Group with the architectural side, which a lot of people do. You know, they've got those skills and, they, and there's a natural fit there. But then you've taken it to the next step and you've brought a lot in-house, the ecological stuff we've just discussed and the archaeological stuff. But also, you're a developer. Mm -hmm. So you're doing larger and larger projects. You mentioned the church. 
where the philosophy is to bring in your own team, right? Mm -hmm. To develop out or, or at least to manage the process of developing out these buildings. So what comes first? What What, what is on your longer term plan is for each of those to stand on their own two feet, for them to support each other. How, how do you see that developing? Well, longer term, my sort of blue sky thinking is I'd, I'd love to be a PLC-sized business. Um, say one of my last jobs was with Savills, which was a multidisciplinary global yep. company. Uh, so I guess thinking of things like that, I'd love to maybe be um, well, finding sites and then developing buildings, uh, whether it's new build houses or you know things like the courthouse we're in at the moment, and then uh, selling them for profit at the end. So we kind of uh, have in-house the process yep. from beginning to end, really. That's that's kind of the grand vision. Yeah, okay. So so at the moment, there's a, there's there's walls. There's there's different businesses, mm -hmm. right? So there's the architectural side you discussed about, um, the, the side that's up in Dundee. And also the developments are sitting, I guess, in their own little silo. Mm -hmm. Mentioned earlier on about one point doing construction we used to have a construction company as well but it, it's a tough business right to keep yeah, keep yeah. that thing going and it's the personalities within it isn't it oh, sometimes sure. as well <laughs> sure and every project's different costing's different it, it's a it's a difficult game to do for sure um but interestingly when you're doing your own development it kind of makes sense to have your own one because of yeah. the um the ability to again put walls between different activities mm -hmm. because some things are more um, should we say liquid in the way that they work i.e. construction mm -hmm. whereas other businesses like actually buying a property redeveloping and holding it is really quite a different model and you want to try and keep those two, those I mean, two but, apart yeah uh, I think the more of a portfolio I've developed I mean I'll, I'll probably reach that cash flow um, kind of need that I've, 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 I've had set as a goal uh, yeah. very soon uh, so it's big chunks of change that you can actually enjoy yourself with. I'm sure you, you know, like you said there, development, it's a very cash-hungry game, isn't it? The the death by a thousand cuts of consultants, of planning fees, of yeah. um, interest. Retention. And, yeah, just holding it yes. and things like that. Um, so whereas, yeah, great, you know, you can add a couple of grand to your cash flow. It might take you 18 months, two years, maybe three years, if it's a particularly tricky project to, to actually realise yeah. that, that income. Um, so yeah, why not think of uh, selling things and and putting half a million quid, a million quid in your in your bank balance in one go? I mean, Do how you, long would it take you to, to to make that as cash flow? Actually, sure, yeah. Think of it like that. Yeah. And what do you um, in the day to day process right now? Um, I, I see you out doing a lot of networking, a lot of business development. Mm -hmm. What what do you what would you say takes up most of your time right now, or does every day? come across as a different day yeah absolutely that's that's what i enjoy the most uh i mean i i do a lot of cat herding a lot of <laughs> i guess problem solving yes um you know if i go in the office uh, you know i might have i've got my social media company in in darlington i've got my architecture company uh the construction uh, what remains of it anyway so i might come in and i'm bombarded with you know a problem of some variety so i guess the variation in my day is is, is quite good Mm -hmm. mixing with that a little bit of networking whether that's um sort of going to well like things like the property thing on an evening or ones in the daytime uh, events you, you just never know who you're going to bump into and where it might lead really so how do you spin all those plates do you do you sleep <laughs> what's your well you've seen how much coffee i've had while I've been in this <laughs> building uh which has led to the coffee company um do i sleep i mean i do do sleep i guess um I guess as I've been worn down by the uh, the, the developments and business, the, yep. the daily activity, I've I've just grown used to um, not not caring, but you know you you, you can switch off, can't you, from yes. the daily uh, well the grind of the decisions and, and having to make these big calls. I guess um, so. I guess I've yeah I've just got used to it. I don't know. It's I, and what would you put? It's quite a challenge when you've got lots of different projects going on with mm -hmm. lots of different things pulling your attention and either a you completely switch off to everything else and you're absolutely a machine at working through all this stuff or b something has to give every now and then mm -hmm. and and i do think that 
if one concentrates 100% of the time, all the time, on just doing the activity, you lose sight sometimes. And also you have no thinking time, which mm-hmm. is like really important. So wh- which camp would you say you're in? Are you really disciplined, work really, really hard, or just sometimes some things give? What, what's... I mean, I guess, uh, I'm saying what, what's one of my skills, I guess I've got used to delegation. Yep. Um, so I've got a, a great team in-house who can yes. take a lot of the burden off of me. Um, so that makes my life easier. I've got people I trust in the office and architecture team, you know, so the developments, yes. if there's changes, if there's planning um, conditions need discharging, I can just ask people to get on with it. So I can go out there looking at the deals, forming the relationships and, and you know, trying to drive the, bottom dollar down basically interesting what is your what's your process of delegation uh i've i've been reading a book recently and uh the, the kind of the, the the message behind it is that lazy people clever lazy people um they look at the easiest way to get themselves out yeah, of it so sure. basically how do how do you get the a process in place that allows you to remove yourself from that kind mm-hmm. of as the blockage so I guess I've been trying to get my head into that. How can I remove myself from the process to make it easier for someone else to do it? I guess that's how I'm looking at yeah. business and life at the moment. Yeah, processes, yeah, okay. And do you, does everybody do exactly what you ask them to do? Oh, no. It's, uh, I, I mentioned cat herding, and this is the bit in business where, you know, I've always been an employee. This is this is the bit as you do start taking on people, uh, dealing with relationships, and that it does, it, it, almost becomes child-minding sometimes. You know, you're just dealing with other people's problems every day. Yeah, don't worry. Nobody else is listening to this. You know, don't, don't worry about <laughs> it. Don't, don't, don't hurt anybody's feelings. Anything. You're always listening to it. Don't worry. This just isn't, me this, and you. This is in a form of business, not Rocket. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult though, isn't it? Because sometimes you, or I anyway, you, you'll make decisions and have discussions based on people thinking the same way you do, mm-hmm. but they don't. No. So it's, it's being cognizant of the fact that other people look at things differently which is is an obvious thing but actually the way they process stuff and the way they maybe or maybe don't follow up on stuff is quite different Mm -hmm. and it's interesting even at the age i am now the stuff you learn about people and how your own interactions reflect and how they get on is quite a complicated thing right yeah yeah there's a lot to learn in leadership i think and and as you say human psychology everybody is different there are maybe you know three or four camps of people. You've got people who just turn up and do the work. You've got, I suppose, the one below them who turn up and don't do any work. Yes. You've got people who want to just manage, and then you've got the people who want to have the business. So it's knowing that you need uh, not everybody like you because nothing would get yeah. done. I know you were interviewing Paul the other day. Uh, well, sorry, you interviewed him before yeah. our event. And uh, imagine having three or four Pauls and me's in a business. Nothing would get done. We'd have amazing ideas, but nothing would actually get yeah. done. So it's knowing that you need every level of these these types of employee yeah. or team member to to get stuff done. Really, I'm laughing to myself because you say some people like managing. You're right. There's some people like managing, but not actually do anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you come across that. It's like, um, yeah, yeah. This and he's doing this and he's doing this and he's doing, but actually nobody ends up doing anything. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned the church. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should just dive a little bit into that project. So how sure. did you come across that? Was that listed for sale? I mean, a lot of people have looked at churches. There's been a number, obviously, there's a whole thing yes. going on there and change over the last 20, 30 years. But how did that one come about? Uh, so that was brought to me by someone who attended our property event. Uh, so through, through networking. Um Boise, I've got this uh, <laughs> this potential yeah. project. Uh, do you want to come look at it with me? At that point, yeah, I was very green. Like, oh my God, someone's approached me about a JV, you know, yeah. I've, I've gone through a stage of saying yes to a lot of things and realizing, I mean, this is a good one, by the way. Um, but yeah, I've, I've said yes to a lot of things and maybe regretted some of them afterwards. <laughs> but no, this one's been, uh, it's definitely a learning curve, but yeah, brought to me, um, I think it was on the market, just over a hundred grand. It was the last part of a, a development. There was a, it's a Methodist church. There was a Sunday school at the back, which was sold off and developed by Jehovah's Witnesses. So it's a kingdom hall right. now. And then there was an attached, I guess, where the, the, the priest or the vicar used to live. Um, so the developer was still living in the three-story cottage that was attached. Was trying to offload this, this, this basically this hall. Uh, it's grade two listed. Fortunately, a lot of the history had been stripped away from it. So, you know, the pews, the, the altars and all that kind of stuff. Um, so when we went to look at it... Um, you know, you're looking around and thinking, yeah, let's have a let's have a go at this. It's it's cheap enough. 
Uh, we managed to secure it um, because of COVID. COVID helped us out, a little bit of scaremongering uh, for 57 and a half grand. Wow, that's a reduction. So, so for the price of what was a two-bed terrace in a bad area of Darlington, uh, we had this building that we've managed to convert into six apartments. Um, so yeah, the barrier, well, the, the the price of entry was very low. Yes. So we had that. that so did it have any ground with it that didn't have? No. No, so that's one challenge. Was there a cemetery around it? No. Right, okay. So it's uh, it's in the middle of Barnard Castle, which is a, a little market town. Yep. It's only one street behind the, the high street. So yeah, there was no parking. There's a tiny courtyard out the front, basically, where we've got enough room for bin stores and to swing a cat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm assuming it was double height. It is, yes. And, but when you took it on, was it a big open hall? It was, yeah, a very a Methodist church, so they're not really that grand inside, but just a massive U-shaped viewing balcony. Uh, the, the, the the beaches, the beaches were all kind of covered over, um, so it had been converted into kind of like a community centre, just a a hall that I guess people were using to come was in. Was there double height windows on the side? No, the so I, I guess the that's best... That's often the challenge, isn't it, with these? Is yeah. How do you do that intersection when you put an extra floor in? So the best way of describing this is if a five-year-old was to draw a house, you add four windows at the front, big windows, you know, one at the ground floor, yeah. one at the top floor, and then a big door in the middle, uh, and then just, you know, very simple roof, you know, triangle on top of a square kind of right. thing. So, yeah, I, when I'm saying a church, it's not something with a spire and, as you say, the double-storey yes. windows. But nevertheless, it's listed. So you've, mm -hmm. I'm assuming, put in a maze, put you on another floor, basically. We've managed to get uh, three floors three into floors. it. So, wow. yeah. Okay. Two, um, two flats per floor, basically. So was there any structure in place that you could use for that other than the exterior walls? No. So to get the extra the extra floor in the in the roof we were actually playing around with the floor heights so at ground floor we've we've got a four meter ceiling uh, we basically brought the new floor in uh, just above the the top of the windows the 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 uh, what you call them the lintels yep uh, the floor above we've had to do a little bit of a funky arrangement to kind of pocket the windows just to give us the extra height yep. for the rooms within the roof basically the flats within the roof Okay, so you've had to put in new steel structure inside or has it all gone to external walls? Wasn't the intention to do steel at first. Uh, when when we first designed it, when I first designed it, it was using the metal web joists. Yep. We were sort of doubling up them as purlins, uh, using the metal web joists to clear span between the wall plate and the ridge. So it was kind of designed very simply, but then we, we went to a company called uh, Moduloft, who um, uh, basically they're a modular roofing um, manufacturer. Yeah. So what they did is actually created these pods, five pods that they craned into position that were already plastered, already first fixed plumbing, already had the second fixed electrics. So we kind of closed the roads for a day and craned in these these things. Fantastic. So we created two flats in five days, basically. Wow. How did you find the whole planning process on that one then? I mean, to be honest, it wasn't too difficult. I mean, you know, if anybody's going to tackle the project, I mean, you and your team's probably a good start, <laughs> right? But, you know, you have uh, you mentioned there it's not, it wasn't the most um, flamboyant of churches, yeah. right? More functional. But mm -hmm. nevertheless, it's still B-listed? It was grade two. grade two down, yeah, down in England, yeah. yeah. So, did you, yeah, talk me through the process of that. Yeah, so, I mean, taking you back to the beginning, so... I think it had stuck on the market for so long and why there was a bit of a deal there because when I kind of took my laser around, I'd realized the architect who'd done the plans for the developer, just some kind of indicative plans to try and sell yep. it, had mismeasured. Uh, so by me interrogating the details and not believing what was on the paper, <sighs> there was an extra 20 square meters wow. per floor. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. that's, that, that makes a lot of difference yeah, if sure. you're trying to create flats. So whereas they could only get one flat per floor, we managed to get two. So immediately, there's a hell of a value uplift in that. Obviously, you don't mention that to the vendor at yes. the time. <laughs> yes. So from there, we obviously secured purchase. Um, we This was before Rocket Heritage and Archaeology, actually, but this is where the, the idea came yep. from. So we approached free heritage consultants right, okay. yep. um, to, to basically write something in support of the scheme we wanted, the conversion. Two of them came back and said, no, we, I could write something for you, and I'll charge you three grand for the privilege. Um, but it won't be in support of what you want to do. I couldn't ever write in support of you converting the church. So we were like, well, why would I give you 3,000 quid for 
basically writing something that's going to stop me getting planning. But fortunately, there was one out of the three who said, yeah, yeah, I think I can write something in support. That's so, bizarre. That's like, that's like going to a lawyer in the court, right, and presenting a case for somebody's guilty robbery. So, oh, I'm, I'm not going to represent you because I think you did it. Yeah. Let's just be honest. No, no, I will represent you. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'm charge you, sure but I'm going to get sure you banged you up. Get down. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's very yeah. So I guess the lesson there is never take what you're being told as a hundred percent the truth. Always, yeah. always interrogate yeah. and make sure it's it's correct. So you found a third one. So we found a third one who yeah managed to uh, be persuaded, let's say, in, in to support what we wanted to do. Um, so the good thing about listed buildings, well, not the good thing, but one one thing is the conservation officers, you can get them into the building before pre-app and things like that, before yeah. spending too much money. Uh, so you can involve them very early on. So we, we brought the, uh, the heritage consultant down, the planning consultant came out as well, the planning um, officer from the council. And we had our heritage consultant there and also our- was pro. He was pro, yes, thankfully, and our planning consultant. So we went very mob-handed with, uh, with, with our power team, yep. I guess. What I also did, and this is something I do with, with all of these kind of um, these projects, is kind of go with a very, very extreme version of what I wanted. So, they can, yes. so I can scare them, basically. Um, and they so, can get some wins. Yeah. So the, the scheme I'd drawn up at the time had dormer windows in this church where the church had never had dormer windows. Uh, and of course, when they see that shock and awe, like, oh my God, no, we're never going to let this through. But what's the what's the fallback position? Oh, how about we put some conservation roof lights in? Oh, that's not so bad, actually. So that allowed us then to create the extra story in the roof um, and they allowed it on to that basis. That one, yeah. So we, we involved the um, conservation officer early on. It, it became almost their project as well. So of course they were in, um, yes, in support invested. of the, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, from there, we went into planning, um, didn't really have any pushbacks. The usual ones, parking. I mentioned there was no no grounds. Luckily, we we're in the town centre. There was a very cheap car park, you know, 100 metres down the road. Um, didn't have any room for bike stores even. Um, but yeah, they were, they were all in favour. I think it was just about to go on the buildings at risk register as well. So I guess that was another... Uh, another thing we use to say, look, yeah. we're we're going to preserve this. Um, otherwise, it could fall into disrepair, and you know, who's going to who's going to tackle it? Basically. Wow. Okay. Uh, sometimes, though, with these projects, and I'm, I'm thinking of listeners who've looked at churches, sometimes you could almost get the building for free because the conversion costs and the build is so expensive that actually, or at least in comparison to the resale value, yeah, it can be difficult, right? So you might go to one area where actually the resale or the letting or whatever it is, the market price is such that it's more, sorry, less than the rebuild costs and all your different, yeah. even if you've got the building for nothing. So is this area affluent, reasonable? What? Yeah, I mean, there's a great point you touched on there. I've talked myself out of so many jobs uh, because I, just I will up, right? tell people that their, their projects are not worth anything. Yeah. Um, why not just go to a better area? You know, rather than spending all your time and effort searching in, in areas where, I mean, I always look for areas now where the pound per square foot sale rate is over 200, right. 220. Yeah. So immediately, you know, I just use property data. So what's the what's the local average, I guess, for that area in pound per square foot? If it's not over that, then there's no point. Yeah. Like you say, a listed building, there is going to be a premium attached to develop those over, uh, yeah. over and above just a standard building as well. So if... Why, why, why waste your time in looking for anything less than that, basically? Yeah, yeah. And so sometimes those red herrings is a property is very cheap, mm -hmm. but actually, yeah, it, like you say, unless you're going to pay up. me to convert it. And I've got friends who are doing this um, in, in some of the, the, the areas surrounding Darlington and that kind of thing. And when you, I mean, you know, the, the valuation process and commercial lending and that kind of thing, when you get a downval, it can, it can really put the skids on the development. Yep. And, and they've, they've, they've had this they've recently. Had this. So unless you can find private investment, you're you're never going to be able to finish it. Yeah. Okay. So, just running through that project then. So it's been developed out for six, or being yeah. developed. Being, out for six. Yeah, we're about being seventy percent through, seventy five percent through right. at the moment. Okay. And what is your intention? Is it to sell, to hold, a bit of both? No, this one's going to be Airbnb usage, so oh, serviced really? accommodation. Okay. So there's a, a mix of it's a it's a it's kind of in the dales. So you've got a little bit of tourism. Um, and you've got GlaxoSmithKline in the region as well, in, in the town, sorry. Yeah. So there's an element of the contractor market and and basically people coming up to, to see them. Okay. So a little bit of a hybrid between the two 
Okay, so going back to the structure, so that's going to hopefully when it's done sit and work away mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. i'm assuming you've got external people doing the, the service delegate the, yes <laughs> and dealing with the services and things when there's changeovers and all that sort of thing that's going to sit within part of the portfolio yes. somewhere or another yep. yeah and would you look to refinance or leverage against it or what, what's absolutely the plan? yeah so i mean a lot of this stuff and this project as well i mean yeah i've had to put some money in but everything I've kind of done has been uh, with very little of my own money. So yeah, we get to the end of this one, refinance it all out. Touch wood, we should get, I think, pretty much everything out. So effectively the ROI is, is going to be pretty infinite. If not, it, I'd, I'd say at worst 50%, yep. which isn't bad. Uh, so in two years I've paid the money that has been left in the project out. And do you use private investors at all for any of these? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, so yeah, so that refinance piece is important when you get to that yes, end. You, yes, it's not, it's not a choice, it's something that needs to be done. Yeah. 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 Um, and do you, because this project's been going for three years, two years, since you bought Since it? Since we started, it. it's been, yeah, so it's about three years, we've, just about three years yeah, we've owned it. about COVID. So has the market shifted at all? Absolutely, yeah. Which direction? Uh, up. Okay. Which is good. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we were playing on that element of fear when we bought it. Um, I mean, certainly, we, yeah, from where it was back then. In yeah. the last few months, few months, I guess it's probably flat. just started to level off. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's ticked up in a way. I think when we bought it, the the average pound per square foot of that area was about one eight five. So I'd said there about I wouldn't look in two twenties, but I was. Uh, this was a point where I was saying yes to a lot of things. Since then, we're probably looking at. I, th I think actually the value has put it on about 260, 280. Yeah. yeah. And so, is your 220, is that based on the developed cost? You're saying I don't, or are you talking about purchase? That would be the developed, the sale. Yeah. 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 Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. So if you work backwards from there, you've got your, your obviously your conversion costs are going to be quite high anyway. Um, so you're, yeah, your purchase cost has got to be quite low, even yes. at that level, unless you're in amongst 300 plus, because you could be spending 200 pound a square foot on a conversion couldn't you absolutely so that's the church project mm -hmm. is there any other commercial projects you've been looking at recently so we're just about to start on a five flat and two commercial commercial conversion uh, is that we, a pub that one no so that's uh thinking of a different project there a pub have i got a pub Oh, no, I've got a pub, yeah. uh, an old British Legion club. Yeah. No, we're selling that one. Right. <laughs> because of, as we just mentioned, the pound per square foot value yeah, okay. added at the end, just it just doesn't make doesn't sense work. to develop. So, yeah, we've got planning on it. We got it quite cheap again. Um, so there will be, I don't know. There's a margin in there for someone, but it not Not us, unfortunately. We've, we've, yeah, so mistakes we've made over the over the time we've been developing, we've, we've held that for far too long. We were going to develop it when we had time to get to it. As time slipped away, the numbers just don't work anymore. So we've held it for maybe a year and a half to two yep. years. When if we'd have sold it a year and a half, two years ago, we'd have made 50 grand yeah, profit. Okay. So, sorry, I interrupted because you were talking about another one, more of a mix. No, yeah, so um, using a bit of um, planning and then E2MA, permitted development. Mm -hmm. um, we've we've managed to convert, uh, so it's two commercial units at ground floor and it'll be five service departments in the in the uppers above it really and what was it previously so it was classy um so it was a cafe uh, a vacant shop and then the uppers were i think used to be owners accommodation way right. way back in the 50s but had been used for storage associated with the build, yep. build businesses downstairs so by default it, it ticked into classy which helped us with the pd what's your um plans with that is that to hold on to that's another hold yeah yeah, okay. yeah. Great. All right, you mentioned PD, so I want to just quickly dive down that. So, permit development is, uh, there's been some tweaks to it recently as well, of course, but, but predominantly, it it's the ability to develop some space into certain classes that necessarily, previously, you would have had to have had planning permission for. Yeah. And it does, doesn't pertain to Scotland, where I'm based, but nevertheless, it does in England. Well, yeah, but I think there is... There's a poison chalice with that, in that whenever you look at, and when I work with people looking at commercial for commercial down there, the challenge is the value is underpinned by assumed permitted development. Mm -hmm. So for me, I like to look at properties and think, right, what's the best use for this? What's the best optimal return here? And if it's underpinned with a, a 
the hope value, I guess. The hope it? value, exactly, yeah. thank you, for what it could be under permitted development. It means it becomes quite difficult to do yeah. these things as commercial. Mm -hmm. So the market, as it's become more and more, um, as developers know more and more about that, and of course, surveyors, you mm -hmm. know, every particular has... You know, set of particulars have, um, you know, could be um, developed yeah. into Subject whatever. Subject to. <laughs> Subject to. And you know that's putting another zero on the end yeah. of the price. So I think in Scotland, the benefit has been that, you know, looking for property that hasn't got that, I mean, sure, they still say subject to planning permission, right? And you can go through the process, but it's not had the impact I think it has mm -hmm. down south. Having said that, it does highlight buildings that don't work for housing because they sit on the market for a long time. And yeah. those are the ones that maybe from a commercial point of view, you're like, right, okay, I could maybe get this for a better value because it's not been underpinned by Resi because it's been established that it isn't going to work no matter what. Yeah, But it is one of those things that has been around for three years. Uh, it's been longer, hasn't it? But yeah, it ticked up a gear. I think it was 2021, August, yeah. uh, where the the allowances became a little bit changed more a flexible. More, yeah. yeah, I mean, people are getting excited right now because it's just been announced about um, permitted development for subdividing larger units. Yeah. Resi. Yeah. Um, whether that's going to really have a big impact, I'm not sure. The one I'm looking forward to is in another project we're doing is a Class Q permitted development conversion. So at the moment, you, there's certain parameters over what, where, and yep. when you can do it. It sounds like they'll be bringing in the ability to do that in the middle of national parks, an area of outstanding natural beauty. So I think, uh, well, I'm hopefully going to have a field day when that comes in before, as you say, the valuers and the agents know about yes. that. Because if you can have a, a, a barn, a wrinkly tin barn up a hill in the middle of a, the Lake District or somewhere like that and convert that into a beautiful, beautiful building, a barn, then, yeah, it's, it's going to be fabulous, I think. Yeah. It's, it's becoming a complicated beast that whole um, development area for Resi. I, I think we are slightly, un, you know, we, we we don't have it in Scotland. I know some people are very disappointed by that, but also I do think sometimes it's like, actually there's a little bit of an advantage there too. And particularly from my point of view, when I'm really trying to look for cash flow on commercial. Mm -hmm. it, I remember in 2008 and nine when, sorry, prior to 2008 and nine, when the market was really hot, it was so difficult to buy anything because everything was being valued at resi, right? Yep. Even though there was no permitted development, it was just was. And it became really frustrating. It was only after the market had that correction that actually you could start buying stuff at yep. good prices again. And it'll be interesting to see, after we've come out of COVID and you mentioned about the church and values have continued to go up, will things change? What, what's your thoughts about where the market is going to go in the next sort of 12, 18 months? Are we going to continue as we are? Are we going to flatten? Are we going to wait? I is mean, there a point where, sorry, I'm not I'm loading you with a bit of a, more of the question here, but is there a point, surely there's a tipping point where mortgage rates, costs for somebody who's doing a buy-to-let or even just buying a new home, that actually it doesn't work anymore? Mm -hmm. And when there's enough people that it doesn't work for anymore, that's a tipping point, right, by default. Yeah. Do you think that's a possibility or what's your view I mean, at the moment, I, I, I had a lot of friends when mortgage rates started going up. Oh, what's what's happening? You know, my, my mortgage has doubled and this kind of thing. Yes. But when you zoom out, we're, we're at the norm, aren't we? Yes. It's not actually that high. So I think from the base rates being held, I think we're at that kind of peak, aren't we? It might start dipping a little bit next year. Have they inflated it because they knew there was a recession coming? So they've got that room to take them down again, potentially. I don't think that that's sophisticated, to be honest. No, no. I don't know. My head was yeah leaning towards they've just put them up so that they can take them back down again. Um, I don't know. I, I think there's a few more years to run yet before your, the lights come on and you're dancing with the ugly chick, basically. I think, I mean, every time it's different, right? And the, the whole huge amount of money that's been thrown in the economy over the last well, over those two years anyway. It was just unprecedented. And, and that's got to wash through somehow. And it's certainly going to hold things up for quite a while. Yeah, It's whether we're going to hit a tipping point or not. And if we're not, then things will continue when they are, mm -hmm. as they are, won't they? But I think it was... Um, I think it was maybe during Gordon Brown's time or something, Labour thought that they'd fixed the whole boom and bust thing, right? It wasn't even going to happen again. But, you know, these things do come back eventually. Yeah, I just... I'm not sure that we're sophisticated enough to have sorted out when a boom's coming, we're going to 
hold it off. No, because every you know it takes time for the, the changes that have happened to filter through. Uh, but I think with the free money that was given out basically over COVID, I think that's set a precedent now, hasn't it? So I think if things do dip, I don't think there's ever going to be an issue with printing more, which obviously you is right. you, you it, right, it leads yeah. to inflation, which leads to asset prices going up. So I'm not worried yet, but it's whether there's a, just a world war and uh, AI takes over and we've got Sky well, and Terminator, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's why you have to turn the media off and just get on with life. Right? <laughs> <laughs> too many, there's too many things we talked about. As, but you know, it's always been that way, isn't it? You, you, um, you could fixate on all the challenges. Like, you certainly, I grew up when there was all sorts of Cold War stuff going on, right? And that was the thing to worry about. And, you know, films and programs about the day after and all that sort of stuff that put the bejeebies up you. But, you know, there's a lot of other stuff going on now that's yeah. um, obviously on the environment. You know, we've got some big challenges mm -hmm. in front of us, right? But I'm sure that in a few years' time, there'll be another one. Oh, yeah. There'll be a new thing. Yeah. So we, we've got to keep on with it. So with Rocket Group, you've got offices in Darlington, offices in Dundee, other locations? Uh, one down in Kent One down as in well. Kent. And are, are they multidisciplined at each one or is there tend to be a more focus? Like is the one in Kent maybe more based on the ecological stuff? Or? At the moment, yes, it's, it's ecological. Uh, we have heritage starting there in the new year. Yep. And then uh, the goal is to kind of build up each of the disciplines in each because that's each a, one. a great one to tap into the London market, sure. basically. So whereas there might not, well, so we are working on ecological projects down there, there's less ecology work needed in London. It's been okay. developed. It's mostly concrete, you know. So uh, where where there's opportunities for other departments to kind of build, I think that's that's the idea. Brilliant, anyway. okay. And so, and that's on the rocket um on the discipline side, but in terms of development, mm -hmm. spoken about church, moving on to this other project, what, what's your longer term plans on that? Is there any, is there a particular type of project you're focusing in on? You looking more building first approach, i.e. here's a problem building, what can we do with it? What, what's your philosophy around that? Um, I guess I'll never say no to anything. I just yeah. look at it and basically does it, does it make money? Yes. Uh, that's that's how I approach everything. Yep. Yep. Property is the strategy. Like how how do you carve it up? Basically, yep. I mean, one of the things we're, I'm going to be focusing on next year is a, is a holiday park scheme that we've uh, we've got going on. So that's about 130 acres, and that's potentially life changing wow. uh, amounts of money. So it's like I say, I, I just go to sites or go to projects, and then try and think of how best to make money yes, on them. I guess. Great. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely an approach that I like. It's just that, but you need to know there's different, I mean, there's strategies I have no idea about. And, mm -hmm. But the more you're in this game, the more you learn about new strategies and things that you can then take, as you say, like an arrow to try on different projects. Yeah. And do you find with historical buildings, just pulling it back to that for my last question. That's what here, we meant to talk about, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, we're, we're going to come on to list of stuff <laughs> it, and we'll do maybe do a wee short podcast about that in a minute. But, but coming back to historical buildings, do you find that there are just some that, for whatever reason, they just don't work? And there are some buildings out there on the on the register, right, on the list, at uh, risk. And, you know, are, are some of them at, at real risk? Because actually, either A, they don't work numbers-wise, or actually probably more realistically, B, the, the current planning officer or planning regulations around that property mean that actually it's never going to be sustainable, which is the most important thing, right? And that actually it's probably going to disappear into the ground. I mean, you must get frustrated with that sometimes. Absolutely. So I think the one downside of um, of listed buildings, heritage assets, is the conservation officers uh, the planning. There's a, there's a national policy, a framework yep. that everybody has to work to, and then you've got local level stuff, whereas conservation and heritage is very subjective. So you, you're right there. I mean, we've had it before where certain conservation officers would rather see something fall down. Oh, well, at least it's, it it's honest. It's, it's yes. as it is. It's yes. as it's always been. Yes, it's, they're open about it. It's yeah. going to be ruins. Why not make it a house? Why not let someone look after it? And they, they would, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very odd environment sometimes. Yeah, I, it's frustrating, isn't it? And you see some of these properties, but we're going to come on to that we'll, we'll go into a different a, sh a short episode because i did get a question about that and i want to cover that off in, sure. a, in another little episode but i think just to finish off the you mentioned about really liking historic buildings mm -hmm. and, I, and i 
originally when I started doing all this sort of stuff, I, my goal was to start doing up old buildings. I wanted to do up an old castle. Right? I haven't got to that. I haven't <laughs> There's got enough to of that. them up here. I haven't got to that stage yet. <laughs> um, but they are such fun and such great projects to work on. But have, have you found that they can, obviously they take more time, mm -hmm. sometimes they take more money, but have you found that actually the myth about they're just too expensive, there's no point touching them, is maybe a wee bit false? I mean, the projects you've worked on, um, some of them, I'm sure, must be pretty successful. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the, the church is a, a great example. So when, when that does get financed out because of um, the, the uptick on the commercial income and things like that, it should be north of a million quid. So if you think about we bought it for under 60 and it's now worth over a million. There's, there's a hell of a value uplift in that. Yes. Um, I mean, you, we mentioned already, don't just go buy in any listed building because you do end up with listed buildings in terrible areas yep. that are never going to value up. So you don't want to be lumbered with one of those. But yeah, I mean, often the listed buildings are in the heart of towns and cities. So I think for tourism, uh, they're, they're great, great locations. Um, there's an element of retaining the historic interior if you've got tourists coming over, if you are in cities and that kind of thing, they, they want to see that quintessential yeah. Britishness, uh, I guess, of a building. So you can really, I think, make really, really special. Um, I, I mean, I love serviced accommodation, so I'm going to use that yes. as an example. But you can you can retain these things and make them really, really yeah, special um, apart hotels and, and apartments. They don't, you can't build an old building. You can't. And you they, can't build, there. there is a finite supply. And how long are the new builds going to be up in comparison? That's a great question. I Can you imagine more people starting to think about that? Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine uh, in a hundred years' time going past a persimmon nice site or something yeah. and going, "Oh, look, it's a it's a lovely two thousand era <laughs> persimmon and, and toy the town." And the planning officer saying, "You can't take that plasterboard off because it's part <laughs> of the original features." You know, because sometimes I've got a colleague who's on our mastermind. He's trying to um, redevelop this building, and the local planning officer saying. Well, you can't take off the um, Harling, not the Harling, sorry, the um, lath and plaster, because it's part of the original fabric, you know. Yeah, who knows um, once it's painted? Well, That's the annoying thing, uh, isn't uh, it? Yeah, yeah, but also there's proper good reasons to take it off, you know, and it's like, well, at one point, when is plasterboard going to be a listed uh, <laughs> product, you know? <laughs> Maybe uh, Artex and Asbestos as well. <laughs> well, that's right, that's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, okay, well, we're going to come back and focus in on specifics around um, listed buildings and how people can actually look at those developments and some of the things that they need to watch out for. But before we wrap up this one, maybe you could just give us an idea of where people can get a hold of you, where people can find out about the Rocket Group and the different things that we've discussed. Great, yeah, thank you. Uh, so the best place to find out about the Rocket Group is is via our website. So that's www.therocketgroup.uk, no .com, no .co, yeah. .uk. Uh, and then me, you'll find me on all of the social media platforms. Probably sure. LinkedIn is a is a good one. Uh, depends how serious you like me. LinkedIn's a bit more serious. If you find me on Instagram and places like that, you're a bit more of a giggle. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Right. Okay. Thank you. No, thank you very much, Jerry.